The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights, a WCW look back podcast proudly brought to you by the SJP World Media Network. My name is Sai. And joining me, as always, on Pay-Per-View Day, and we bloody love Pay-Per-View Day, is the wrestling encyclopedia himself, Scottish Danny. Danny, how are you, my friend? I'm, just, I'm very well, mate. I'm just pulling up the old Harley Davidson uh, to uh, chat with you. Your good self, mate. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. You must have a few quid then. Those things are not cheap. No. <laughs> uh, today's episode of Nitro Nights, as I said, is pay-per-view day. We bloody love pay-per-view day, and today is no different. We are heading to Sturgis with WCW, and I suppose the NWO as well, to take in Hogwild 1996, the first pay-per-view, I suppose, of the NWO era, really. If you consider the last pay-per-view was just the formation of that group. So quite a historic event for that reason alone, Danny, I suppose. It really is, mate. And we've seen lots of the build-up. Um, and yeah, here we are. Exactly, mate. Exactly. Uh, normally, I run through ratings and what was on Monday Night Raw and all that sort of stuff. But being a pay-per-view, it's a bit different. Uh, but what I will do is take a little look, just for comparison reasons, at the most recent or most, you know, uh, time sensitive, I guess, for August the 10th, 1996, the date of Hogwild, the most uh, close to it, I guess, WWF pay-per-view, which worked out to be SummerSlam 1996, which was broadcast on pay-per-view eight days after Hogwild. Uh, we'll have a little run through the card just to see what's going on on the other station. We have a fatal four-way for the WWF Tag Team Championships featuring the Smoking Guns, the New Rockers, the Godwins, and the Body Donners. Psycho Sid defeated the British Bulldog. Goldust defeated Mark Miro. Jerry Lawler defeated Jake Roberts. Mankind defeated The Undertaker in a boiler room brawl. And then Shawn Michaels successfully defended his WWF Championship against Vader in the main event. So, again... You can see things taking shape with certain aspects of the WWF. We've got Mankind and The Undertaker facing each other again. Uh, we've got 
the, the gold dust character very much in full swing at this stage i guess and Shawn michaels in the main event as well kind of i think carrying the company on his own with regards to an in-ring quality standpoint but nothing that makes me want to really rush back and watch that event again i mean i know michaels versus vader was a decent match apart from sean having a little tantrum and mankind undertaker people look back on it quite fondly because of the boiler room brawl aspect it was something different but i've never really enjoyed that there's not masses on the wwf pay-per-view card that makes me want to rush and watch it danny to be fair how about yourself no, not at all, mate. Um, the Vader and Shawn Michaels match, I felt, could have been a lot better than it was. Um, as you say, the, uh, the most memorable thing for me is that tantrum Shawn Michaels has at the end. And I don't want to say it ruined the match, but it certainly did put a downer on it when you watch it back. Yeah, it, I mean, Shawn was under a lot of pressure at this time, feeling that he had to carry the company on his own. Uh, he also had lots of shall we say dependency issues yeah. but at the same time he also had serious attitude issues and was just basically a, you know even though sean's my guy i've got to say it he was just basically a little bit of a bitch yeah yeah not a good look at all not a good look at all uh, however that was the other station here we are um, on a Saturday night, actually, August the 10th of 1996 was a Saturday night pay-per-view. So that means our normal look at WCW Saturday night kind of has a, a pre-show feel to it. WCW Saturday Night is brought to you by me, Scottish Danny. Danny, what happened on Saturday night? Well, Saturday night um, was the uh, basically... It was, as you said, the pre-show, and we had um, an incredible eight matches for this uh, Saturday night. Wow. Now, when I say eight matches, um, not one of them goes over six minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we'll just get into it. We had uh, the public enemy um, defeating Mike Enos and Dick Slater. Um, we had Conan defeating Chavo Guerrero Jr., which I would have loved to have seen on the pay-per-view. Mm. Yep, we had the Nasty Boys, your favourite team, Si. Um, oh, <laughs> <God>. <laughs> facing off against newcomers, High Voltage, which okay. uh, just went under just over three minutes. Um, then we had Alex Wright versus Earl Robert Eaton, which went 30 seconds, surprisingly. Oh, see, and I'll tell you what, that, I mean, don't get wrong, that really feels like a Saturday night match. Yeah. You know, Bobby Eaton at this point in his career in 96, taking on Alex Wright. So that feels Saturday night. But yeah. we've quite enjoyed what Alex Wright does in ring, I think, yeah. on the show. And Bobby Eaton uh, is, is just one of the best of all time. I mean, the guy is absolutely fantastic. That's yeah. a match I wouldn't mind seeing, but not yeah. if it only goes 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not, mate. And something that should have gone 30 seconds uh, but went longer, we have the Dungeon of Doom, uh, Barbarian Meng and the Taskmaster defeating Jim Powers, Joe Gomez and Mark Starr. Now, right. just, just, I'm going to uh, go... <laughs> yeah, he sounded impressed. Just uh, <laughs> with Mark Starr, this morning... I watched, I don't know if you know this match, it was Rick Rude's uh, final match before he had his, uh, just just before his final match, Rick Rude versus Mark Starr from Saturday night in 1994. Have you ever heard about this infamous match, Si? I don't think so. I mean, the name Mark Starr rings a bell, but I think that might be because you've brought him up before 
uh, maybe oh, last yeah. week or the week before on, on yeah. when you when you do when you have a look at Saturday night for us. Uh, I'm not familiar now. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely been going around Saturday night, but he was in a match with Rick Rude in 1994. I just watched a little documentary on this um, where Rick Rude just beat the piss out of him, just like waylaid him, <laughs> punched him in the face, shoot, kicked him in the chest. Um, I'll send you it after we're done recording this. That Someone actually did a little documentary, but yeah, and then Rick Rude's career was over just basically a couple uh, weeks after. But yeah, very, very interesting, Mark Starr, that he's still around. Um, yeah, two, two years later but yeah we're not done yet um, we've also got Dave Taylor defeating Mr JL who we haven't seen for a while no we haven't no I wonder if he's been injured or just working elsewhere yeah yeah it could be mate. and we have DDP Damdas Page versus the Renegade and this was the longest match because it went just under seven minutes yeah seven minutes is probably still a bit too long for a Renegade match isn't it <laughs> It really is. <laughs> and then in our main event of Saturday night, we have Arn Anderson taking on Hugh Morris. Any guesses to how long this match lasted, Si? I'm going to have a wild stab and say two minutes 30. No, 40 seconds. Oh, <laughs> OK. <laughs> That's insane. Arn Anderson out there for 40 seconds against Hugh Morris. Wow. What a, what a waste. What yeah. a waste. Yeah. Uh, but there we but go. The sad thing about this is this is not this should be available somewhere, but I'd really like to see this. Eight matches. The only thing that's available is a Ric Flair interview off the Saturday night. That's yeah, it. Yeah, we get a clip of that later on, don't we, on the pay-per-view. Yeah. Well, I suppose we'll, we'll talk about it as we run through the show in a moment. But yeah, like, I, obviously I saw that watching the actual Hogwarts show itself. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot going on on that episode of Saturday Night. And again, that, that was filmed at Sturgis, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Just a few hours, well, basically right before the pay-per-view. Yes, because our opener is Ultimo Dragon versus Rey Mysterio. And when the guys have, um, you know, we've had the opening of the pay-per-view and uh, Dusty Rhodes, Tony Schiavone, and shall we say a little slurry, Bobby Heenan, <laughs> are, are, are on screen running through the show and so on. We get the entrances for Ultimo Dragon and Rey Mysterio. And then Tony Schiavone bids everyone farewell from Saturday mm-hmm. night and says, you want to watch any more? You've got to book the pay-per-view. And I thought that was a really clever little touch to let them see the beginning of the pay-per-view rather than just cutting off the pre-show and then starting the uh, the event itself, Danny. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, that's something WWE and AEW do now with their YouTube um, shows okay. where they have a YouTube preview, especially for the big shows like WrestleMania. And then they'll just be like, oh, just head over to Peacock or go to the WWE Network um, to continue watching. Yeah, they do that. All right, fair enough. Okie doke. So then, I mean, with regards to this pay-per-view, it's something we've been looking forward to because the build-up on the weekly television has been, I think, pretty good overall, uh, building to this show. Various matches that we've both been intrigued about. Various matches that I know we've both been looking forward to seeing. Here we are then. We're at Sturgis. It's a motorcycle rally uh, a massive motorcycle rally been running for 50 plus years at this point and depending on who you listen to there's sometimes quarter of a million bikers ascend on this tiny little town sometimes 300,000 bikers ascend on this town but a huge number nonetheless and this is shown by the 
spectacular aerial shots we get from the helicopter circling the area and then little video clips of the of the fe- of the bike festival i guess over the course of those few days the event is outside the event has no tiered seating it's all flat there's lots of people sat around on bikes watching the show as well as in seats near the ring and around the I suppose around this area, slightly further afield than uh, than the audience sat watching, we have big gravel car parks with camper vans and so on, and lots of you know fantastic looking scenery, hills, rolling hills, and then later on in the show we see some fantastic sunsets and so on. Danny, is this the first time you have seen this pay per view? Yes. Okay. What did you, on one hand, what did you expect going in, and then on the other? What did you actually what did you actually think about this? What did you take away from watching this wrestling event in what I guess is quite an odd setting for people used to watching wrestling in the more more traditional way? I really liked this. I thought this was very innovative, innovative, sorry. Um this it was something that is I had very much the same vibes when uh, WWE had um their tribute to the troops where it was outside, it was completely different to anything I'd ever seen before. Um, okay. And this was, this was the first, it was just like, almost like, um, like you see it a lot now, outdoors wrestling. I don't think you saw it a lot in the 90s. Um, I think in the 80s, 90s, you'd see independent wrestling on the outside, but on such a big stage like this, this was the first time... I'd seen like a giant, I mean, you obviously have WrestleMania nine and things like that, but mm-hmm. yeah, um, th- for me, this was, this was, I really liked this. Um, I'd heard a lot of criticism against it saying, Oh, people were just drunk and they weren't fans and stuff like that. But I didn't pick up that vibe at all during this. Well, that, I mean, that's, that's interesting because this is something that we're no doubt going to talk about during the show with, with certain crowd reactions and so on. But a lot of criticism was put on WCW and Eric Bischoff from, I suppose, the usual circles, the likes of Meltzer and so on, online, talking about how they're not going to make any money on this show because they're not charging for admission because they're, you know, they're in the middle of a motorcycle rally. These people are here anyway. The crowd may not be full of traditional wrestling fans so they may not know what's going on may not know the characters may not know the storylines and i think there is a little bit of that in certain matches but we'll come to that and the whole feeling was it's the whole feeling that you get looking back on what Meltzer and the, the like wrote at this time was that this is a bad decision by bischoff and wcw because they're losing out on well, I think roughly two hundred thousand to two hundred fifty thousand at the gate dollars. I mean, two hundred, you know, two hundred twenty thousand at the gate. I think was um, what they took in on a pay per view, sort of in the months building up to this. So, on one hand, you look at it from that aspect. Say, for example, that that figure is accurate. So, two hundred twenty thousand dollars. That is a lot of money they're losing out on for for a payday on that evening, and the cost of running a pay per view outdoors is also far higher than running a pay-per-view indoors. I mean, perfect example is is the helicopter itself. Bischoff is quoted as saying that having the helicopter flying around pretty much for the whole show 
taking these aerial views, taking these uh, spectacular shots from above the ring and the crowd and so on, that alone cost the company $50,000. So, I mean, you think now you can buy a drone for 100 quid and send that up and do it for you. But it's a different time, yeah. and, and, you know. But yeah. on, on face value, I can kind of see where the likes of well, where the critics are coming from i won't keep digging mouths right the critics in general i can kind of see where they're coming from with regards to looking at it from that aspect the expenditure on this particular weekend probably outweighed any profit they made however sturgis was a huge huge deal it's the biggest motorbike rally in america potentially the world i would assume and because of that, WCW were looking from an advertising standpoint to build, uh, I suppose, build relationships with companies and so on. And in uh, at Sturgis, uh, and the, the, you know, sometimes you would have coverage of Sturgis on television, brief highlights, shows, and so on. And obviously, you know, newspaper coverage, other media outlets, and then of course, advertising in the town itself. WCW were trying to build deals or um, agreements or even relationships with some huge you know juggernauts of advertising the likes of coca-cola and and so on all you know all these um these massive gigantic companies i mean even harley davidson themselves and i agree if you look at it short term business wise from a traditional wrestling show standpoint Business-wise, it doesn't make sense. But in the long run, the money that WCW could have potentially made, and eventually from, from what what little I've read and what little I've researched, did make because of the agreements that they made with these other companies and, and relationships they built and advertising they secured and so on. In the long run, they made even more money. So I think that's always quite interesting because the easy thing is to turn, you know, to, to throw around. Same as Bash at the Beach in 1995, which is a, a bit before our uh, our Nitro Nights project began. Bash at the Beach 95 was outdoors on a beach. They couldn't charge for entrance, couldn't charge entrance fees or anything like that. People were just on the beach would rock up and watch the wrestling. Same yeah. theory here, but the difference with this is there's a plan. Whereas with Bash at the Beach, it was a spectacle on the day. Yeah. And I think that it's very easy for fans to be critical of WCW and go, oh, well, yeah, you lost out on all that money. People were trying to buy tickets to get in. Yeah, but look at the bigger picture for me, Danny. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that absolutely makes 100%, mate. It's, I mean, and I'm just, say, I'm just um, saying what I've said from a complete uh, person who's just watched this for the many years after it's happened. I, I think it was worth the risk. Yeah. And even your explanation of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, great stuff. Uh, We mentioned that the show starts with Ultimo Dragon versus Rey Mysterio. But just before that match, we we see our our commentary team. And they are the usual pay-per-view trio of Tony Schiavone as your lead commentator. And he is joined by Dusty Rhodes and Bobby Heenan. Heenan is dressed in a black suit with white trim, a sort of suit ish style effort anyway and looks i think pretty sharp to be fair yeah tony and dusty what the <laughs> fuck are they wearing <laughs> um dusty rods 
Yeah, he just looked like he just cut the arms off of his shirt and his um, shorts, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, and he's got this weird kind of leather cap effort that looks like the one that the guy from the village people used to wear. <laughs> and he's wearing cowboy boots with cut-off jeans. It's, it's, it's definitely a look, shall we say. It really is, mate. <laughs> and then we go across to Tony Schiavone, who has a waistcoat on. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're trying to get in the spirit of things. Fair enough. Yeah. And these guys are not bikers. That This isn't their natural environment, but they're trying to get in the spirit of things, so that should be applauded. Yeah. However, Tony Schiavone has stood there in a weird waistcoat effort job, a hat on. He's got this really strange mullet going on. Really odd. Even, I mean, it's 1996. It's not 1986. It's, it's a weird haircut. And then he's got one of these fake transfer tattoos on his arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, uh, and Dusty Rhodes takes great pleasure pointing it out to the camera and laughing at him about it. But it's, it's really I mean, cool. it's a weird look for me, mate. Yeah, it really But as you said, it should be applauded because it's something. I mean, they're really getting into the spirit of it. Tony Giovanni himself um, always said he wanted a tattoo like that. So when he got to Sturgis, I was just listening to his podcast um, a couple hours ago. He said he seeked out uh, somewhere that would do um, like sort of like these um, strip on tattoos. And then that's where he did it. And he said, um, yeah, he, he actually liked it, but... Uh, it just, like you said, it was a look. <laughs> ah, interesting. So you were listening to Tony Schiavone's podcast about this particular show? Yeah, I, until we got to the, uh, just the lead up, until we got to the matches. Okay, okay. Yeah. Ah, right. There might be a couple of gems in there that you've heard that I haven't then. Uh, yeah. With regards to the commentary team, what did you think overall of Bobby Heenan's performance on this event? This, um, do you know what? He managed it well, but you could clearly tell he was sourced and he was getting more drunk and more drunk by the as the night went on. At first, you didn't notice it. Um, I mean, has it ever been confirmed that if he was drinking or if he was just feeling tired? Or, um, I don't, I don't know, I don't um, know. I, um, I know there was rumors about him. Yeah. Having, I mean, apparently, uh, Bobby Heenan and Mean Gene traditionally would, shall we say, have a cocktail or two, yeah, before a big pay per view, and it was just their routine. It was what they would do. They'd often share the same hotel, so they'd have a drink or two in the bar before setting off for the big event. And they did this in the WWF and WWE for years and years and years. Never a problem. Yeah. Here, it feels yeah. like Heenan maybe overindulged a touch. And there's also stories in later years about Heenan having uh, a big sort of Tupperware cup with a straw in the top that he would he would have booze in for when he was on on air. Now, I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form Heenan had a drink problem. I, I I don't know, but this is what he would do. And his performances in later years, it's a little bit more apparent. Maybe that there were occasions where he was under the influence, and this you know famous beaker of whatever it may well be you know many people reference this in interviews since here since we've started watching wcw back from the first nitro onwards here's the first time i think that i can remember where i'm listening to bobby heenan and i'm thinking he's a bit off here 
I mean, on uh, Tony Schiavone's podcast, he does uh, make so- sort of reference to it, but he doesn't confirm or deny if he was mm. drinking or not. But yeah, it, I, I think he was. But I mean, we're, we're going to get into it later on, especially towards the last two matches. Wow. Yeah, definitely. As I said a couple of times already, our opener, Ultimo Dragon versus Rey Mysterio for the Cruiserweight title. This is one of the matches that I was very, very keen to watch when it was announced before the pay-per-view. I don't think it let us down, Danny. I thought it was quite a good show. Yeah, it really didn't let us down. And just before we got into the match, this the first time this is where we see the entrance stage of um, Hogwild. And I was just blown away. I was like, wow, that, that giant, uh, the big steel structure and everything like that. It just, yeah. It was, and then you get into the match itself and yeah, they just blew everything away. Yes. And I think they were really battling against, I suppose, against the atmosphere. The crowd were, you know, excited and revving their engines and so on. But they're the opening contest. Oh, you've had the, the Saturday night matches and so on. But this is different because the Saturday night matches are what they are. Very short contests in and out, as you explained, Danny. This is given more time. It's for a championship. It's got the fireworks going off at the beginning for the start of the pay-per-view. And then we've got these two guys coming out in their colourful outfits and masks. And they are given much more time than any of the matches on the pre-show. And I think this is the first moment where we kind of see that maybe some of the fans aren't actual wrestling fans. They're there out of curiosity more than anything. But I believe the work that these two guys put in kind of wins them over by the end. Yeah, I would definitely say that as well. I mean, they appreciated um, the athleticism of both, I found, throughout this match. But you're bang on with um, the fans not being 100% wrestling fans during this because um, you could definitely tell towards the beginning. Mm. Yes, uh, the match starts. I mean, first of all, Rey Mysterio, speaking of, odd get-ups and odd costumes that people are wearing. Ray is the other end of the spectrum here. Ray's wearing some form of a Spider-Man tribute gear and mask. And I think it looks bloody fantastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the match begins with, I suppose like many cruiserweight matches normally start, we have the exchanging of a few arm drags and so on. And then we go into submission holds, which... Yeah. A lot of people, I think, forget about when they talk about great cruiserweight action. It's not all flipping through the air. These guys can actually can actually wrestle, and we see it a great deal here between Ray and Ultima Dragon. Uh, I was massively impressed seeing Dragon hit this insane running power bomb at one point. I thought that looked incredible, and then he applies a figure four leg lock, and I thought that just came out of the blue. I wasn't expecting that, Danny. Yeah, neither was I, mate. And there was a lot of arm and leg holds during this. Um, but what the thing that made me just most impressed was uh, Rey Mysterio hit a springboard from the from inside the ring all the way past the floor, all the way to the bottom of the floor. And Bobby Heenan said that was fifteen foot, uh, a fifteen foot drop. That just blew my mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I suppose it's something we didn't touch upon when the when we started our our podcast today. The ring is elevated, isn't it? That you have yeah. the, the actual floor there, which is kind of gravelly almost quarry-esque i suppose uh with regards to the actual festival itself the grinds itself then we have the outside of the ring area which is the usual crash matted section but that's raised up 
yeah. then the ring again is obviously the usual amount higher again because there is no as i said no tiered seating so the ring does need to be raised for people at the back to see what's going on i still don't think people would have had the best view in the world if they weren't in say maybe the first five to ten rows or maybe yeah. you know over six foot or whatever but i guess it kind of needs must there's not much more they could have done i think yeah yeah okay it did look impressive that just the um the the where you have the grass on the floor and then you have the floor and then you have the ring yes yes definitely uh, i enjoyed this kind of spinning torture rack effort that ultima drago dragon used as well i thought that looked very good uh, something I didn't enjoy was Dusty Rhodes referring to Sonny Ono as a snake in the rice, as opposed oh. to a snake in the grass, because of his you know heritage and so on. That was that did not age well. Well, I say that didn't age well. That wasn't good for 1996. I don't know what Dusty mm. was thinking. That was not a good look. Um, on that note, we do get some USA chants from the crowd, which is kind of ironic because neither of these guys are from the states and. Um, <laughs> uh, an attempt at a top rope Frankensteiner, however, by Rey Mysterio is initially blocked by Ultimo Dragon before another one is hit and Rey Mysterio picks up the three count. And I thought, as an opener, did its job. A really, really good match. Really enjoyed everything these guys did. Uh, some really innovative you know, offense by the pair. And it got the crowd into it, which is kind of what they needed if this wasn't a traditional wrestling crowd, Danny. Yeah, bang on, mate. And I think the only thing that I was disappointed with this match was Bobby Heenan and Dusty Rhodes seemed to be having a go at Ultima Dragon a lot for not going for the pin um, mm. when he hit big moves. But I guess it makes sense as well because they, they're just like, oh, yeah, going for the pin. Why isn't he going for the pin? So it kind of does make sense because um, at least Bobby Heenan's a heel anyway. But, um, yeah, really good opener, really good. I think that works two ways for me Yeah, because... I agree with the points they are making. We spoke about it on, on numerous times on this podcast when you see people constantly going for pin attempts. Ultimately, this is supposed to be a sporting contest, predetermined or not, so you should be trying to win the match. I, I hate when somebody hits a big move and then doesn't go for a cover straight away or doesn't go for a cover at some point after it. It's like, well, why have you even yeah. bothered hitting the move then? You're not trying to win the match. However, does it benefit what's happening the commentary team pointing this out for the viewer at home maybe not mm. especially but, so often yeah yeah i mean that's one that maybe you sort of speak about in a production meeting as opposed to on the air maybe but i'm, yeah. I'm nitpicking there i mean it wasn't a big deal to me but i, I, I know where you're coming from yeah uh, we get a couple of moments here then next before on before our following contest Mean Gene, first of all, appears in a fantastic cut-off denim jacket. Uh, I think out of the four people we have seen so far, Gene is probably the closest to pulling off this biker look that they're all going for. Even if it's, I mean, I say fantastic. I, mean, I said that very much tongue-in-cheek. It, it's, not, it's not a brilliant outfit on him whatsoever, but I think he's the closest to pulling it off than, than the other three, Danny. I think he is, mate. It must be the moustache. It must be. <laughs> it must be. <laughs> uh, Gene talks about the hotline, telling people to ring. And he's also then set talking about additional members of the NWO. And there have been people seen backstage. Uh, this is interesting 
because I know that there were, in reality, people seen backstage. But we will get to that shortly. Sturgis then is, I suppose, shoved down our throats once more. <laughs> we see footage of what's been going on over the last few days, which basically just seems like people either sat on a bike or riding a bike. We don't see much of anything else. I know Sturgis, Sturgis sorry, has plenty of stuff going on. People don't just drive down there or ride their bikes down there and sit around for a few days. They have music on, they have various different attractions, but we don't get any of that shown to us. We're just told this is Sturgis, a massive motorcycle rally. And then it's just people sat on their bikes and it's like, okay, well, we know there's other things going on. Why can't we have seen a bit of that? Yeah, you're, you're bang on, mate, because uh, at this point I paused the, uh, the pay-per-view and actually researched as that what was go- what goes on in Sturgis that I'm sure there's more to this than this. So I saw one a video from um uh, last year Sturgis and yeah you're right. I mean there's musical performances, there's competitions, there's races, there's yeah it's just incredible. Um this pay-per-view just made me realise how much how how good Sturgis is. It really mm. seems like a good place. Well is it a place you would go, sir? Um, I don't know. I don't. I mean, if you'd have asked me maybe ten years ago, or even potentially five or six years ago, I'd have been interested. Yeah. But my my big event, my huge festival days, might be behind me now. Yeah. Um, I've been to many, many big scale festivals. You know, ninety thousand, hundred thousand people, whatever. Seeing Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath and all these ACDC and all this lot, and I've loved every minute of it. Yeah. But, I mean, the one I keep coming back to is Download Festival. Yeah. I've been to numerous Download Festivals and had some of the best times of my life. Seeing these bands, meeting new people, you know, just drinking all weekend, partying away. I've had some of the best times of my life. But now, I think it's 45 minutes from my tent to the stage. And then when you get there and you realise you've forgotten your cigarettes or you've forgotten your wallet, you've got to walk 45 minutes back. And then 45 minutes back again. Yeah it's it's a trek from the car park to where you're camping i can think of nothing bloody worse mate uh, <laughs> this is this is literally me becoming an old man i, I can tell you that now i can think of nothing worse yeah it, especially yeah. when the rain comes so oh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> you and me both mate <laughs> i go to a festival now called stone dead in nottingham uh, every august bank holiday it's it's about four thousand five thousand people it costs 50 quid to get in if I'm right at the front of the stage, I can see my tent and I can see the car. Ugh. It's too, and honestly, that does me, and I have a great time. It would take a lot. It would take something really special, musically or attraction-wise, to tempt me back to something like that. I think. Yeah, fair enough, mate. But there we go. That uh, uh, such is the passage of time, I guess. That concludes my. <laughs> old man shouting at cloud moment but um <laughs> with these sturgis clips that we're getting tony shivani has a really odd line here and it's funny i use that terminology actually i didn't even mean to do that apologies but yeah tony shivani says he's seen lots of odd people this weekend <laughs> <laughs> it's like brilliant <laughs> you would wouldn't you at that um <laughs> in some of the uh, youtube videos i'd watch i was like wow that so you had all of this going on and then you had wrestling as well mm-hmm. it's no wonder a lot of people were drunk there because they'd been partaking in everything else before the pay-per-view 
Yeah, yeah. I bet there was all sorts going on, mate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, our next match did not have all sorts going on. It's not a good look for me. It's Scott Norton versus Ice Train. Uh, the tag team of Fire and Ice have obviously parted ways now. And here we have a pay-per-view match trying to settle this this rivalry, this disagreement, or at least add to the story. Ice Train arrives all taped up because apparently the giant has kicked his ass potentially on Saturday night maybe I'm not sure yeah um it's not very good Danny is it (laughs) no no, it would have to be it would have to improve to be not good because um (laughs) (laughs) it was it was really bad I've I've wrote down it it starts off with a chop battle that turns into a punch vest um uh, just ice train showing up um, sort of injured as well, kind of. I mean, I don't know if he was really injured or not, but once again, this is WWE's fault for not putting the uh, Saturday night on the um, network because mm. I would have loved to have seen if he was attacked um, on that Saturday night and how it was done. Because if he was attacked on that Saturday night, that was just minutes before this match. So wouldn't he still be laid out? The impression I got from, from Tony Schiavone on commentary was that Ice Train confronted the Dungeon of Doom, or at least the Giant, on Saturday night, and then the Giant kicked his ass. <laughs> it's kind of the impression, but they didn't really cover it. You'd have thought because Saturday night is their TV program, they could have potentially given you a little clip, so you know yeah. what's going on, but we don't get that. Uh, no. And the match itself, I mean, it's a saying that I use quite a bit on the show. Maybe it's a t-shirt saying, I don't know, we'll have to look into that in the future. It's a lot of punchy, kicky bullshit. Mm. Uh, Scott Norton works the shoulder of Ice Train that is taped up. Um, Ice Train at one point hits a power slam, but apart from that, it's a few arm bars, punchy, kicky bullshit. And then Tony Schiavone shouts very enthusiastically and very excitably, Ice Train is not giving up. And then he gives up. (laughs) Yeah. And then the next caption I've got is, that was a bit shit on my notes, (laughs) to be fair. So... Yeah, it, this is one that could have been shelved for the Saturday night uh, 42nd time slot. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Or, 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 you know, give them five minutes on, on an episode of Nitro, let them beat the piss out of each other. I mean, wrestling on this level is trying to cater for so many different tastes, isn't it? We yeah. say it all the time. When you're looking at these big, huge companies that, like the WWE now, uh, AEW to maybe a slightly lesser extent, but WCW back then, you're catering to numerous different tastes. And I think when you get a pay-per-view, especially with WCW and WWF back in this era, when you get a pay-per-view, you need to cater to different tastes. So we have a, a bit of a, a mat clinic later on that we're going to come to. We have a high-flying cruiserweight contest to open with. And then this would tick the box of two big guys just slapping each other about a bit, which some wrestling fans want to see. There's a market for that, of course. I mean, you look at what draws, uh, traditionally, what has drawn big money is big guys. Hence why Vince has always been, you know, obsessed with the larger-than-life huge top liners that he could potentially hire. But this this just didn't work for me. Didn't work for me at all. And I think it goes back to me and you aren't both fans of this team splitting up because they were actually really good together. I I think it's a situation of 
there's more going for them as a tag team than yeah. either of them individually. Yeah. I think there's more you can do with a fire and ice tag team at this moment in time. I mean, let them have a year together. Let them have a babyface run, a heel run, whatever. Challenge for the tag titles a bit. Let them actually build up a little bit of back history and then split them up. Yeah. Because then we will have something to care about. The biggest yeah. thing for me with regards to fire and ice splitting up is that I don't really care that they've split up with regards to the storyline between the two. I'm not rooting for Ice Train. I'm not invested in him. I'm not really arsed on Scott Norton here. Nothing has been done in the build-up to this tag team's breakup to make me, A, invested in the tag team enough to care about one individual when they split, or B, the split itself. Yeah. You know, I think it's a shame that they're not a tag team anymore because they could have done more. But you look at this now. We've had this match. We're, I imagine at some point, whether it's on television or pay-per-view, you're going to get another one because Ice Train was wrestling hurt. So you've always got the out of, you know, I was wrestling with an injury. So you're going to have a secondary contest potentially. Where does an Ice Train go? And where does a Scott Norton go after that? Yeah. It's very hard to put them on the card. And just, yeah. yeah. You know, we're... Thunder's not a thing yet. Saturday night is obviously is obviously there, and you have squash matches and whatever on Saturday night. But when it comes to the proper prime time television, you have two hours of Nitro. There's enough talent to fill that two hours of Nitro. So Scott Norton and Ice Train, when they're finished with each other, where do they go? Very and true. I, I don't see that. I mean, I, I kind of know where Scott Norton ends up and, and so on, but. It's, I think, of at this moment in time, looking at it, trying to look at it with, you know, the hindsight of it being August 96 and not looking too far into the future. My initial standpoint here is, where do these guys go next? Do they team back up? Makes a mockery of the break. Do they find different tag team partners? Is that really going to work? It, I, I don't know. I, I don't think there's yeah. much there for them to do, Danny, to be fair. No, you're completely right, mate. It, it... They are in danger of getting lost in the shuffle. Yeah, yeah. Yes, you're spot on. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, lost in the shuffle, spot on. Uh, after this, we get clips of Ric Flair's interview on Saturday night. And Ric Flair is talking in a more subdued manner than the Flair we are used to. There's no shouting, excessive wooing or anything like this. And he's talking about the NWO. And he's talking about the attack on Arn Anderson. And how Arn's his friend. And he initially thought that the NWO and the Horsemen could coexist as long as they stayed out of each other's way. But now they've made it personal because they've attacked Flair's best friend. And I thought this was really, really good because Flair has dropped some of the over-the-top Ric Flair-isms mm. with regards to his promo. And it almost feels like he, it feels very real to me, Danny. How did you take this promo? Very much the same, mate. And I'm just so glad that it's on YouTube. I'll be watching it straight after the full thing is on YouTube about this. So, um, mm. But yeah, when Flair, as you said, he was not over-exaggerating here. He was just kind of like himself. And he was just like, okay, I'm coming for the NWR. We're coming for the NWR. I'm going to stand up for WCW. And it's something he's always said. He, he said right until WCW went out of business. Um He'll say it for any. I'm sure he said it for TNA at one point. And he was, he's always said, 
where I am is the greatest wrestling promotion <laughs> on the planet. And you actually believe that because it's like Ric Flair is saying, and he's been around forever. So, mm. yeah, really enjoyed it. It's also quite a babyface promo for me. Yeah. Which is interesting because obviously we see Ric Flair a bit later on on this card. And there is nothing babyface about Ric Flair's performance at all in his US title match later on. Nothing at all. He is working 100% Ric Flair, dirtiest player in the game, heel. So hearing this promo, which is it's very, like I said, it's very much a babyface promo. He's talking about, you know, standing up for WCW and the outsiders, regardless of the reactions they're getting, regardless of how popular the NWO end up being, and regardless of how many Hogan chants we hear at times. They're supposed to be the heels. Yeah. So Flair here, it comes, comes across very babyface-like, which I think was a little bit of an odd touch, maybe? Yeah, I can see that as well. Yeah, okay. Uh, after that, we get a quick clip for some very exclusive, apparently, but I would say also very niche WCW merchandise. <laughs> it's your Hog Wild merch. And we have T-shirts, that Jimmy Hart is very, very happy to be sporting. And we have a denim jacket with the WCW Hogwild logo on the back. Stitched in, not printed. It's all stitched, which is, you know, quite spectacular. This lovely looking denim jacket. Did you catch how much that denim jacket would cost you, Danny, if you wanted to buy one? Oh, no, I did. It was the T-shirt 25. Something like that. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The denim jacket the wcw official hog wild denim jacket will cost you 90 dollars plus postage <laughs> but come on sir don't tell me you wouldn't want one of them <laughs> oh mate if i could i'd buy six um, <laughs> i mean hog wild as a name for the pay-per-view doesn't hang around very long yeah there's a, a sort of trademark issues with harley davidson themselves and the term hog is a reference sometimes used for Harley Davidson. And the term hog is actually also uh, trademarked or owned by Harley Davidson themselves with regards to it being initials and standing for, I believe it's Harley Owners Group, which is if you buy a brand new Harley Davidson, so not secondhand, brand new, spending tens of thousands of pounds or dollars or whatever you have the option to join this this exclusive kind of club the harley owners group yeah. which which again is you know i can understand why wcw were told yeah you need to nip that in the bud you can't be using that that's ours so yeah yeah you're spot on harley owners group um and it has okay. um a million view a million members so they is kind of really? think yeah my goodness <laughs> Why, it's a lot of money flying around those bikes. Uh, uh, up next, speaking of bikes, look at that for a segue, Danny. We're bloody professional, <laughs> aren't we? Speaking of bikes, we have a match with a stipulation attached to it, very much made for the location of this show. We have Bull Nakana taking on Medusa, which is a match that we'd seen in the WWF a year or two previously. Uh, and the stipulation here is Bull Nakano is going to come to the ring with her Honda motorcycle, which naturally gets USA chance and, and lots of booze and so on. And Medusa is going to ride her own Harley Davidson. And that was apparently actually you know, Medusa's own bike. That is the bike that she rode to Sturgis uh, and traveled God knows how many miles with some other guys from WCW 
they rode for days and days to get there. I had like a big convoy of bikes heading down there over the course of a couple of days. So some of the footage we see later on with WCW guys riding motorbikes out on the road, some of that is from certain times when different people would be literally biking it to Sturgis. Uh, and, and Medusa was one of those. So this bright sort of pinky purpley Harley Davidson, which looks, it's a beautiful motorcycle. Don't get me wrong. It was actually her own, her own property, Danny. Oh, wow. Very impressive. Um, mm. Just before we get into the match, yeah, the entrance alone, um, to me, it was the best thing about this match was Medusa's entrance. And it's just a shame because that her amazing theme song that we praised last week so, is not available on YouTube, which I'm very disappointed oh. about. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good because if you can't find it, it's definitely not out there. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> and i rely on you for stuff like this (laughs) (laughs) it is amazing so as as i sat there watching it i was thinking is this a wwe edit or maybe she had an original original theme it could Mm. be but yeah we'll never know no there we go there we go uh nakano comes i mean bull nakano by the way what a wrestler she is Go and check out her matches uh, in Japan. And well, even her matches with Alundra Blaze or Medusa back in the WWF. She has done some fantastic work. Uh, Nakano comes out with the standard face paint and very interesting hairstyle. Her, her hair is just literally straight up in the air. And it must be a good, I don't know, 15 inches tall. But she's carrying nunchucks as well. Mm. And the biggest difference for me, Danny with regards to this contest, if you ignore the obvious, the bike stipulation and it's a ladies contest, if you ignore those obvious points, the biggest difference for me with this match in comparison to our opening two is that the crowd are massively into this. Yeah, they are. And maybe a lot of them knew uh, Medusa from um, probably uh, the biking community or, or something like that. But yeah, you're, you're spot on with that, right? They were behind her. Yeah, I mean that's a, that's very possible. I think it may not be as uh, as in depth as that. I think it could quite simply be Medusa as Rhoda Harley to the ring. She's a very attractive lady, and she's covered in the red, white, and blue. And her oh. opponent is Japanese. I think it yeah. can be as straightforward as that. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially with um, she has a, a Japanese manager as well. Yes. Yes, and, and the crowd are chanting throughout this match, USA, USA. And then we also get a few chants, uh, just literally chanting Harley, Harley, Harley. So I suppose that gives you an idea maybe of the mentality of the people watching this particular contest here. Paul <laughs> uh, Meccano is, is vicious with her slaps and her chops and her clotheslines. Um, Medusa is crazy over the crowd, as, as we mentioned. There's a really interesting kind of octopus submission move by Bull Meccano that starts off with a sharpshooter or some sort of leg grapevine that I thought was really good. It's almost like what Paige uses in AEW now. I think it looks brilliant. Yeah. Uh, A Frankensteiner by Medusa is used. And then the German suplex with a neck bridge for a two count, which I really like. There's a bit of a letdown with a sunset flip though. And uh, the two count with nobody really properly kicking out or anything like that. Um, but eventually we get to the finish where Bull Meccano thinks that she has won, but it's only a two count. Sonny Ono attacks the Harley Davidson of Medusa's with a sledgehammer, which is the stipulation. The loser's bike is going to get wrecked. 
the bell rings, so I'm assuming Bull Meccano has been counted out at this point, maybe? Yeah, you know what? I, I had um, trouble. I thought she actually won and got that free count as well. Okay. No, it looks like I might have missed that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the ref was saying it was only two, but oh. by that point, Bull and Sonny Ono were already adamant, well, we're going to smash yeah. up the bike. Medusa goes and gets the sledgehammer, and you know, Sonny Ono and Bull Nakano run away, which you should do whenever somebody's wielding a sledgehammer, by the way, a little yeah. service announcement for everyone there. And <laughs> the commentary team put this over as Medusa wrecking the Honda medusa smashing the bike up medusa getting her own back and so on my lasting thought about this match and what happens afterwards is if i was to buy a motorbike i'd probably buy a honda because she is walloping that of a sledgehammer and it hardly moves <laughs> very true mate. that's a well-made bike yeah yeah she was just going just full force on it and yeah it was only just breaking off the uh little surface parts but that's um where i where i got confused i, I wrote the line reducer ends up smashing the honda but she lost question mark i guess she didn't no. did it go to a no finish maybe maybe I, i'm not 100 percent sure i'm not 100 percent sure it was there's a possibility that there was a dq because they had the sledgehammer out there's a possibility that Bull Nakano was counted out because she was on the outside for a while whilst the match was still going on. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Uh, uh, either... just, sorry, sir. Just on Wikipedia, it says Medusa was the winner. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I was trying to find that myself as I was talking then, but yeah, <laughs> Medusa won the contest. But I'm not sure how was it DQ count out. I'm not sure. Yeah, we, it doesn't say, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, so well done, WCW, for keeping <laughs> everything crystal clear. Clear as mud, clear as mud. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> following that is the match that I probably was looking forward to the most on this pay-per-view. And it's two guys that we've been singing the praises of in ring, Danny, over the last yeah. few weeks. And that's a guy who, as we are in now, the 10th month of August is looking like he's going to be picking up all sorts of praise come our end of 96 look back episode in Dean Malenko and then a member of the Four Horsemen in Chris Benoit. No no Horseman music, though, for Benoit's entrance, yeah. which I thought was strange. Yeah, that, that did stick out, didn't it? It's like, mm. he's, we, obviously, he is still part of it. He's more loyal than ever. But yeah, him not coming out to uh, the Four Horsemen was a bit like, oh, wow. Yeah, a bit of a shame, because I do love that song, but never mind, never mind. Uh, Jimmy Hart does come out as well with Melenko and actually shakes his hand and then disappears. So, you know, I have to see what's going on there. And Benoit arrives, and this was quite a sad moment for me, really, because Benoit walks out and he's with Elizabeth and woman. And there was just this moment of, man, all three of those people are, are, are dead now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I get those moments a lot. Um, when you're watching any Chris Benoit match, you're like, um, as, even if you watch Eddie Grower versus Chris Benoit, you're just like, you have that sobering moment, don't you? Yeah, I mean, with regards to Benoit, obviously we've spoke about it at length on different shows in the past. I don't want to dive too much into it now, but we know about all the concussion issues and, and the, the, the health issues that he had that sort of, some people will argue, drove him to behave a certain way in his final days. I'm not, qualified or intelligent enough to pass comment on that i just know that murdering your wife and your child 
I would hope there's something wrong with you medically to cause that. But even you know, because if you just do that when you know when you're sane or or you you you're clear and sane of mind, however it's worded, that's bad news. But even if there is an excuse or some form of medical reason people bring up, it's still a tragedy. It's still horrific. It's still terrible. And then you look at Liz. You know, she was around the wrestling business for a long time. Um, ended up with Luger new drugs and drink and so on and that took her life as well so if if the concussions and the is it PTSE oh, or CD, CTE CTE thank you thank you yeah. uh, the CTE with Benoit contributed or led to or caused his suicide and the sad death of uh, of women as well these are three people who for different reasons, the wrestling business really much, really did chew up and spit out, Danny. Yeah, well said, mate. I mean, I think we said it a couple of weeks ago on a Nitro. Um, there was a scene where um, Chris Benoit, um, woman, and Liz and Mean Jean were in the uh, backstage, or they were being interviewed on the ramp, and it was just like I think we both commented like none of them are there now. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, sad times. Yeah. Times, but there we go there we go um what, what is a shame as well for this particular match as good as it is is that the crowd aren't interested at all oh yeah i, I, I don't think they're i mean this I, I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast now who uh is is not already watching back i know plenty of our listeners are, are watching along with us uh, and sort of going back through wcw show by show with us as we review the the tv and i know some people don't i know some people will listen to the podcast and that's good enough for them and but both you know both type of listeners we're hugely grateful for if you've not seen this match i would recommend going to watch it because i think that it stands up very well benoit and malenko have a certain level of chemistry between them they have a certain style that is complementary to each other i believe that the size of the guys and the build also adds to that because they're a very similar size and build and style but the crowd just the crowd's just not into it and this i think comes back to the fact that you're not in front of a traditional wrestling crowd because these guys are putting on a, a bloody good contest to be fair with some fantastic moments and they're just not arsed at all are they no and it was such a shame because um this match went uh according to bobby Heenan, it went over half an hour but i think it was like 25 minutes and this was just pure wrestling um it was at this point you do start to hear bobby Heenan start to go downhill Mm. start to fall slower um, in the middle of this match in particular. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, this this was just brilliant. And inside of a, I mean, these two have had some brilliant matches. I've never seen, I've heard about the matches in ECW. Um, and yes. maybe want to go back and watch some of them because uh, even in WWF, they had some matches that were really good as well. But this was just fantastic from an in-ring standpoint. And I know um, Cam Griffin is a really a big fan of this match as well. Okay. Oh, awesome. Uh, a couple of spots worth mentioning. 
we have a uh, we have near falls from a top rope headbutt and a tombstone power driver. I'm never fond of people kicking out of, of power drivers or anything like that because you're literally dropping a dude on his fucking head. But never mind, it, it worked in this context, I guess. Um, a superplex by Benoit has a horrific bump for me for the pair of them. It's almost like it's a superplex, but he's tried to tried to do his almost dynamite kid style snap suplex from the top and he comes down on his own neck and head it looked pretty bad uh Dean Malenko hits a fantastic looking release German but not not in the way that you might see a Brock Lesnar do it Benoit basically goes straight up in the air and then Malenko lets go and moves I thought that was really spectacular yeah and at this moment Bobby Heenan comes out with a fantastic line why look at this crowd do you realize if everyone here if all their clothes were burnt, we'd lose about nine bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> really good. Brilliant. Really good. Um, the match ultimately hits the 20 minute time limit. We're given a five minute overtime. Uh, I suppose a bit of a bit of extra time and extension potentially, which is basically dominated by Benoit. He applies the cloverleaf, which is Malenko's move. Um, he spends a lot of time working over the leg and so on. Again, though, that five minutes expires and we're told there's going to be five more minutes added and the crowd boo the shit out of this. <laughs> they they just didn't want to see it go on for some reason. They um, are not interested, are they? No. I, as I was sat here watching this, I felt like the drama of, oh, the five minutes, like it was really, especially in the first um, five minutes it, uh, over time, it was like, oh man, are they going to be able to beat each other? Is one of them going to beat each other before the time expires or is it going to go to a finish here? So I found it very entertaining, but yeah, the crowd just wasn't here for it at all. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think you got to know your audience. And I think mm. that if you put on this match in a, a traditional wrestling venue, with a, uh, shall we say, more invested, proper wrestling crowd, or even, shall we say, that, that, that dreaded term, a smarter crowd, potentially. Yeah. Somewhere like a Chicago or Philadelphia or wherever. They would they would be massively into this. Getting five more minutes, they would scream and shout and stamp their feet and love it. Yeah. Here, I get the impression now that you've got a gang of bikers who have been drinking all weekend, uh, I've just seen Medusa beat up a Japanese motorbike, and now you've got now you've got two smaller guys, effectively mat wrestling and so on. They're not interested. They want to see Hulk Hogan. That's the yeah. impression I get. No, you're very spot on there. I would say, and yeah, you was bang on about the uh, the booing at the announcement. I thought, oh man, they're just yeah, they just want to get to the main match. Yeah, I think there's a few moments on this pay per view that. It is booked well from a storyline standpoint or booked well from a WCW wrestling standpoint, but not booked well when you think about where they are and the crowd they're in front of. Yeah. I think that hinders the show a little bit in places, but there we go. Ultimately, woman tries to interfere. Uh, Dean Malenko kind of stops her. And then Benoit rolls him up, grabbing the ropes and gets the three count. So even after all of that great action and two extensions for five minutes, we don't really get a clean finish anyway. No, but it goes back to, as I was watching that, I was thinking, 
that's something Sai said um, a few weeks ago. The horsemen winning in a dirty way is totally in their character. So I yes. just look at it like that. Yeah, no, yeah, great shape. Yeah, great shape. Uh, up next, we get another example, I think, of how this crowd maybe weren't suitable for certain certain matches or certain moments. Uh, we have the tag team titles on the line as the Steiner brothers challenge Harlem Heat. Now, I don't want to point the finger or make accusations about anybody who was at Sturgis that day or at Sturgis that weekend or the biker community in general. However, to quote Harlem Heat themselves, they were called everything, everything under the sun that weekend, apart from their own names. Oof. There is a very, I, I think in this match, the atmosphere changes. Yeah. I think, I think watching this, the, the crowd are intense. The crowd are hot. The crowd are really into this. Everything they were not for the, you know, the, the previous contest, they are here, but I don't think it's because of the heel baby face dynamic. I think it's because of, I'll, I'll just, I'll just say it and I apologize if I offend anybody. I think it's from a race issue. Yeah, no, uh, you're completely right, mate. And I think some of the comments made by Stevie Ray and Booker T since being at Sturgis that day kind of back that up. They talk quite often about the names they were called and the things that were said and so on. It It's not a good look. I mean, on one hand, it works okay because Harlem Heat, they don't play to that issue, but they play to the heat they are getting from the crowd. And it makes the contest seem a little bit more, there's a little bit more to it in the opening minutes, at least. But I mean, the fact that, I mean, that quote there, they were called everything apart from their own names that weekend. It, it, I mean, that's, that's from Booker T himself. Oh, no, sorry, from Stevie Ray. Apologies. It, that says a lot to me. And yeah. I would also say if you look around the crowd, if you look at the shots that we get of Sturgis on this pay-per-view, it's again, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just stating fact or I'm stating what I saw at least. It's, I would say 99% white faces. Yeah. No, you're bang on, mate. You, but you know what? With everything that I said, I mean, no one can excuse any of that was going on. But what I found fantastic during it was Harlem Heat were totally playing up to it. And I wrote down they were turning up the heat themselves and they were embracing the the heat, the heel heat. That's how I felt. Mm. It's like, wow, they're actually playing up to it. And to that, um, that just to me it came off like these guys know what they're doing they're doing fantastic heel work and playing up to the crowd and yeah that's how i looked at it as well it was like oh man this you're in that horrible environment it's very much like, i mean not very much like this is um like do you remember when uh john cena came out of that ecw show um one yes. night stand? yeah sort of like that where the harlem heat were playing up to the uh hatred but obviously on a total for totally different reasons. But yeah. um it was like I love when wrestlers know that they're gonna get hated anyway, so they don't bother try to trying to placate to the crowd. They're just like, Oh come on, then let's have it, let's have it. It really it it reminds you of like if you read 
um, classy Freddie Blassie's book, and it's like, man, this guy's playing up to it. And then <laughs> uh, you're kind of like, wow, this is actually really cool for this moment in time, as horrible as it is. And you're thinking, is a person going to jump over the crowd barrier and attack him? But nah. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what. Yeah. That, yeah. you're not far off with that with regards to this match. There are moments when there are people sat on bikes openly offering Stevie Ray and Booker T a fight. Mm. Not just, oh yeah, come on then, or like, like you see sometimes with wrestling crowds. They are openly stating, yeah, let, come on then, here I am. You know, and it and it came across again. I could be completely misreading the situation, and if I am, I apologise. However, I do feel that it was more than just wrestling fan and heel wrestler. I feel yeah. that when these these particular individuals were shouting and waving their arms and doing certain things, there was more to that than just Harlem Heat. I mean, were Harlem Heat really that over in Sturgis to get a reaction like that just based on their own heel work? I don't think so. No, no, no. But there we go. There we go. Uh, the match itself, it, it starts off okay. I think it loses its way a bit. I think an issue yeah. with the Steiner brothers here causes that because I don't... To me, a, a tag match, and the Rock and Roll Express did this perfectly for decades, a, a tag match between a heel team and a babyface team, if you really boil it down and make it as simple as, as you want it to be, the babyface team will start well. The crowd will get into it. Eventually, the heels will take control. And they will beat up one member of the babyface team. He will tease a comeback a couple of times before being cut off. And then eventually, he will make the hot tag. And the babyface partner, the guy on the outside, will come in and clear house. The crowd will go mad. And then you can kind of go to your finish where the babyfaces go over or the heels cheat to win or whatever. To me, it can be that straightforward. Yeah. And majority of great tag matches tend to have an aspect of that in it. The Steiner brothers at times, and here is one of those times, the Steiner brothers come across to me like neither one of them wants to be the guy that gets beaten up for a while. Yeah. Now you're saying that it does make sense because, yeah, um, I found the opening minutes of this and probably um, right down to the middle of the match, it felt like it was a triangle tag team match. You had the Steiners versus Harlem Heat. Well, the Steiners and and the fans versus Harlem Heat because okay. Harlem Heat, a lot of the times when they would go out of the ring, they would just argue with fans and it was like kind of taking it away from the match because, but then when the Steiners did get the offence, the fans were white hot behind them, weren't they? They were just like, mm. Yeah, just screaming. Is that yeah, yeah. I mean, we get some cool moments. I mean, Rick Steiner does get in his, um, I suppose, counter slam to a leapfrog, which we mm. see quite often when he catches the guy leapfrogging him and turns it into a slam. I, I love that. I think that that looks great. Uh, Harlem Heat quite often would take control on one Steiner brother, and you're thinking, okay, he's, they're going to work him for a little while now, and then he would make the tag. So it never really kind of settled down into any rhythm. Um, it did drag a bit, sort of three quarters of the way through. We had a couple of long chin lock spots and uh, Stevie Ray using a bloody nerve hold. I hate the nerve hold. I think it's shite. <laughs> but <laughs> eventually Scott Steiner does get, I suppose, what would be the closest thing we have in this match to the hot tag. Yeah. And that takes us into the finish. And this was odd for me as well because of how 
for whatever motivation or reasoning the crowd were into this rightly or wrongly whatever their reasoning was for their reactions there was at least reactions yeah the finish they kind of went cold for <laughs> which which puzzles me because I mean, ultimately, the, the, the finish is Harlem Heat retain, and, and they cheat. We have yeah. Colonel Robert Parker and Sensational Sherry. They're both uh, gathering powder in their hands to use. Parker hits Booker T by mistake. Sherry then actually does manage to hit Scott Steiner. Yeah. And then, then Scott is hit with the cane as well for the three cane. <laughs> That's a lot of cheating. Yeah. And the and crowd all- loved Scott Steiner. They loved Scott. That's a lot of cheating on a guy that the crowd loved that were already not happy with seeing Harlem Heat there. I thought that would have got them, you know, baying for blood. But it's almost like they just kind of shrugged their shoulders and went, ah, all right. Yeah. It was weird. Yeah, I found that really weird. But I I, I saw in the, uh, when Stevie Ray had the nerve hold applied, somebody threw an empty bottle of Coke into the ring as well. Yeah, and I was like, wow. As that, um, yeah, so they, they were behind it, but as as you said, and towards the end, they were just like, oh, well, we'll just move on to something else. That was the next match. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what it was like. It was so strange. It was yeah. so strange. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm guessing the person who threw that bottle at Stevie Ray during the nerve hold was just an incredibly well-informed wrestling fan and didn't want to see the fucking nerve hold, Danny, to be honest, <laughs> because it's bullshit. But there we Crazy. go. Uh, <laughs> uh, we get a little look again at Sturgis, then a few little video clips of the the pretty vast, huge, spectacular area and, you know, collection of bikes and so on. And then we get footage that we spoke about earlier on of the WCW stars riding bikes to Sturgis. What did you think of this, Danny, seeing all the all the WCW stars, you know, on their way to the rally? Well, you're missing out something, mate. We saw the biggest WCW star in this, someone we haven't seen for a long time. Did you see him? Who's that? Pepe. Oh, yes, I did. <laughs> I did see him. I got a feeling that was where you were going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we also saw Eric, Eric Fischoff as well. But, um, I mean, that's hitting over here or there. Pepe is back on our screens. I was excited. Even he made the trip to Sturgis. <laughs> I love that. We saw Eric Bischoff <laughs> as well. But Pepe, <laughs> this is the guy who has saved WCW because it's not made yeah. any money to this point. He devised the whole NWO storyline. He's the producer for all of these events. Here's the reason in theory, he is probably one of the main reasons we are doing this podcast and you're like bollocks to Bischoff. No chance. I like the little dog. You know? <laughs> but he had the little helmet on and everything. <laughs> He did, Danny. He did. But, oh. but no. But just to answer your question, yeah, I, I love this. It was very of the time. Um, the music was really cool, and um, yeah, you got to see a lot of wrestlers kind of out of character. You got to see Sting riding around without a shirt on or face paint or anything. He's just riding down there. Um, you saw, like I said, it saw Eric Bischoff. Just yeah, really, really cool. Mm. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Uh, what follows? I also enjoyed. We have our United States champion, Ric Flair, taking on uh, uh, Ric Flair, by the way, that if you're watching this pay-per-view by now, you're thinking could potentially be on the, uh, the, you know, the cusp of a babyface turn after his promo earlier, taking on Eddie Guerrero. 
And then the bell rings, and we realise, no, Ric Flair is not a babyface. He is 100% still dirty Ric Flair. So that interview kind of muddied the waters a little bit, maybe. But there we go. That's a conversation for another day, and to see where that heads. Yeah. Uh, What did you think of this match, Danny? Because this is another one that we spoke about on the show in the build-up to this. And it's one that we were both saying we were looking forward to, because they had a bit of a a bit of a hidden gem, a bit of a low-key stormer on an episode of Nitro a while back, didn't they? Yeah, they certainly did, mate. Um, I loved this match. Um, Eddie Guerrero's stock was totally risen during this. It was really being put over um, by Ric Flair. Uh, The only thing I just didn't like about the beginning of uh, this was Ric Flair stalled a little bit too long for me. There's nothing wrong with stalling since he's a heel. But I just felt like it was a bit went on for a bit long. But even with that, Eddie Guerrero just came out of this a lot, a lot um, more credible than he went in. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think so. And I think it was um, we sang Ric Flair's praises during his world title run for making his opponents look better than his opponents would leave the match looking better than they did going in, mm. even in defeat. And I mean, his his matches with the Giant, for example, over the world title jumped to mind. I think this is very similar. I think this is Ric Flair with his working boots on. This is the Ric Flair that, you know, he's lost a step. He's not as quick or as energetic as he was years before, of course. You know, time moves on for everyone. But this is the, this is the Ric Flair that I think made Sting. This is the Ric Flair that made Luger. Uh, and I'm not saying he made Guerrero here. But he works bloody hard to make Eddie Guerrero look look very good. Flair takes lots of bumps early on, just from shoves and slaps. He's obviously working very hard. Uh, that even when we're going back and forth and trading punches and so on, Flair is really selling every strike he takes. We one downside to it is there's I think I counted three separate occasions where the camera work or the production maybe let the guys down a touch because there are certain moments when you know a wrestler might be calling a spot and the camera that was used was the one that was gone to for that. So, for example, in the corner on uh, two occasions at least, then should we say, we heard Ric Flair calling the next spot because they went to the camera that was about six inches from Ric Flair's head. Probably, you know, (laughs) Flair could do better himself but maybe yeah. you know they could help him out a little bit by not having that camera angle at that exact moment. But there we go. We get a brilliant heel moment from Flair when the ref distracts is distracted, sorry, by woman, and he just straight up kicks Eddie Guerrero in the bollocks. Yeah, not even a, <laughs> not not even a fancy low blow or the Ric Flair sort of reverse kick or whatever. It's just a punt in the spuds, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> Yeah, there's no airs or graces about that. Um, there's a cool head scissors off the top by the Guerrero. Uh, we get the you know, what was a bit of a mainstay for Flair from a few years of his career, a sunset flip spot, which meant then that we see his arse, which I could have done without, to be fair. Um, <laughs> we got a frog splash then by the Guerrero, who then grabs his knee, which he w- was grabbing at earlier on in the match as well. It was a bit of a point of him selling this potential knee injury. He can't cover Ric Flair because of his knee. Flair pretty much straight afterwards snaps the figure four on, uses the ropes, uses woman to get extra uh, pressure, 
and this results to Eddie Guerrero being pinned in the figure four. And I thought this was I thought this was really, really good. Yeah, it really was, man. I mean, I'm, I hope we get to see more from these two in the future because they work really well together. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting as well when you look at Eddie Guerrero. We know what Guerrero goes on to be, obviously. We have heel Eddie Guerrero. Uh, you know, uh, the stuff he does with China and uh, all this sort of great, great, fantastic character work. Babyface Eddie Guerrero, lie cheat steal stuff, and and you know uh, overcoming his addictions and beating Brock Lesnar and all wonderful character work, and everyone loves Eddie Guerrero. Here, I actually think he's a bit bland. There's no yeah. real, there's no real character to Eddie Guerrero. This is just this guy's called Eddie Guerrero. He's a pretty good wrestler. That's kind of all he's got. But I yeah. heard more about him after this than I did going in. Greatly said, mate. Yeah, you you definitely do. And that's why I'm just hoping in the future uh, weeks that we do get to see more from these two because um, it's that you see, yeah, that Ric Flair really did work hard to put him over. I think so. I think so. Obviously, you know, Eddie's own ability adds a huge amount to that as well. But yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. After this, we see the giant with Jimmy Hart and he is talking with Ming Jing. And he's literally just talking about winning and choke slamming Hogan and all the usual stuff. It, it, it's kind of a very sort of paint by numbers promo, I guess, of a guy going into the main event, Danny. I wouldn't say so, sir. Do you know why? Okay, go on. The giant says in this promo, he says, when I was a child, when I was a kid, I was the biggest Hulk Hogan fan. And I was thinking, what about his dad, Andre the Giant? Wouldn't he have been pissed off? <laughs> That's his main rival. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Short <laughs> memories, mate. Short memories. Um, <laughs> we, we'd basically then come to, I suppose, what we'd refer to as our semi-main event. The last two matches of this card are the ones that... Uh, we've had title matches. We've had storylines. We've had uh, stipulations with the motorbikes and so on. But the last two matches, I think, have probably got the most important, maybe not the biggest or the best, but the most important build-up going into the pay-per-view. Because this is the first time we're really seeing NWO versus WCW. Yeah. As, as two separate entities, you know, in this kind of, you know, uh, war, I guess, for want of a better phrase. And I'm not going to lie, Danny, we'll run through the matches in a moment. Yeah. The Outsiders versus Sting and Luger, I was excited about. Yeah. Because it's the Outsiders and they're facing two guys who are, I mean, they've been, you know, front and center of Nitro since we started this, this project of ours. And then we've also got the Giant, who is the champion, facing Hogan, who's just had this incredible moment turning heel and so on. It's a real big deal. It's, you know, the build up and, and the two factions and, and all that. These are big, big matches to me. I've been excited about both of them going into this pay-per-view. I kind of feel like both of them shit the bed. Ah, oh, interesting. I, I'm assuming by, by that response that you don't 100% agree. No, no, I, I was, I really enjoyed these two last matches. Um, as you said, we've seen a lot of television time dedicated to both of these matches. And I felt in particular that this next tag team match we're going to be talking about, um, 
definitely just lived up to the hype. But I can see where you are with the Giant versus Hollywood Hogan. But I felt, I mean, yeah, Lex and Sting versus the Outsiders, I felt was the best match of the night. Why? Interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, let's let's dive on in and I'll, I'll give my reasons as to why I didn't necessarily enjoy it. And then by all means, tell me why, why you did. And and don't for a second think I'm trying to convince you otherwise. Your opinion no. is your opinion. But I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. I really am. Uh, I, I liked the outsiders doing the rock, paper, scissors to see who starts the match. I got a little kick out of that. The match seems then to take quite a while to get going. There's a lot of stalling before the guys tie up. And eventually we get a snake eyes by Nash on Sting, a throwback to the Vinny Vegas character. So I did get a bit of a kick out of that because Vinny Vegas was on Worldwide and so on when I was watching WCW as a kid. Yeah. Uh, the Outsiders, I mean, I'm given a very rough, you know, uh, generalization of what goes on in this match. The Outsiders work over Sting for an extended period. Um, the action tends to pick up a bit when Scott Hall is in, mm. but Kevin Nash for me was just too slow and it just really felt sluggish when nash was working sting uh heenan randomly roots for the nwo in this <laughs> i loved this i actually wrote this down was that a botch from uh, bobby heenan i don't know he, he says come on hall as well doesn't he yeah a couple of times um he hit a ton of skulls him and dusty rose scold him for uh, maybe he's the fourth man of the NWO, but yeah, I, I found mm. that um, that was. I just wondered if that was a botch or was that Bobby Heenan uh, drinking and just thinking, no. oh, yeah, it's a difficult one. I think the old Jack Daniels might have had something to say with that. I'm not sure, <laughs> but there we go. Uh, Hall eventually goes for the Outsider's Edge finisher. This is countered. And a hot tag to Lex Luger is made. Now Luger comes in fired up. I enjoyed Luger here. Uh, before we get basically get to the finish, the, uh, Sting is applying the Scorpion on Nash on the outside as Luger is putting Scott Hall in the rack. And then we get a weird ref bump. The, the knee, the knee, the leg of Scott Hall barely brushes Nick Patrick's head. He falls to the deck, gets back up, and then falls again into Lex Luger. And it's okay. Did he just fall into him by accident? Does he hit him? It does look kind of like a chop block to me. And then there's a very fast count and the outsiders win. So that's intriguing with regards to what's going on with Nick Patrick. So from, from my personal standpoint, Danny, yeah, it felt quite slow in places. It felt quite sluggish in places. But the finish, whereas it was a bit confusing and maybe even a touch messy, yeah. It moves the story on very well because now I'm thinking, oh, is Nick Patrick NWO? What's going on? Have they got referees in their back pocket? So that's kind of my feelings about this. What about yourself? I really enjoyed it. Why I said it was, for me, the best match of the night was mainly because of the story it told. Um, okay. For a lot of this match, um, the outsiders were working on Sting until, as you said, um, Lex Luger gets the hot tag near the end. And then with me, the finish of this was like, oh, wow, this is actually really cool. Because I had to rewind it a couple of times to see if Scott Hall actually did hit Nick, Nick Patrick. And then we t we found out Nick Patrick, um, he just went into, it looks like he just went into business for himself and just counted. So I was thinking, oh, man, this is the fourth man. 
but um, later on, um, we get another uh, version of a fourth man. But um, so it was, it just kept, had me intrigued. Um, and plus mm. all this build up, um, as ridiculous as Sting and Lex Luger were on last week's Nitro with acting like children, um, here I thought they brought it. And um, I think Sting applying the, the uh, Scorpion Deathlock to Kevin Nash on the outside looked great as well because that was a really cool visual when. Lex Luger had Scott Hall in the torture rack and Sting had the Scorpion Deathlock on Nash. Yes. I was like, wow, thank God we don't have that dreaded split scheme that we haven't seen for a couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man, you've brought it up now. It's going to be back, isn't it? <laughs> Tempted was, fate. Yes, uh, I was really happy about that. I was like, wow, it just, it, that's such a really cool moment of like both submissions. And the NWO also looking not weak, but like they're looking vulnerable for a second there and that mm. they have to cheat to win. So as you said, the story's moved along. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Okay, interesting. Oh, yeah. Okay, no worries. Uh, from there, we literally go straight into our main event. Yeah. Michael, but there's, there's no video package, there's no recap, there's nothing like that. We get Michael Buffer in the ring, introducing our challenger, um, Mr. Hollywood Hulk Hogan, I think he's referred to as. And we see, for the first time, Hogan wearing a T-shirt with NWO on it. Not the traditional one that everyone remembers now, but one with a sort of graphics on the front and, and writing on the back. We have the really cool Hollywood white belt and bandana. And Hogan's NWO boots are fantastic. And the tights aren't just plain black. They've kind of got the lightning on that we see in later years as well. I, I think Hogan here really looks the part Danny yeah he really does and the gloves and the tan and everything like that he's totally just you can throw away all that red and yellow stuff because he just looks fantastic here mm. um I just made a note here I thought Michael Buffer was a bit off here for some reason he didn't okay. really seem like, yeah he didn't really seem like himself he was kind of like maybe it looked like almost he was rushed to the ring well maybe we're running out of airtime Maybe, uh, we're, yeah. maybe we're running out of pay-per-view time. I don't know. I don't know. You've got to think you've got a 20 minute time limit on a match earlier on and they stuck an extra two, five minutes on it. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obviously I, I, I jest that was all kayfabe, but you know, whatever, yeah. maybe they're running out of time here because they've got what they want to do after the match to fit in as well. So maybe they are a bit pressed production wise. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, the giant comes out with Jimmy Hart and at this point, I'm reminded that the Dungeon of Doom is a thing. And <laughs> I never like to be reminded of that. And it, I just think that... Uh, 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 we'll get into it. We'll get into it. And why I think this match here, it's not great. It's not awful. But no. I don't think it's... I don't think it's... It, it does what it needs to do. But I don't think it's one I'd go back and watch again. But also, I think that the giant here is booked terribly. Yeah, I think that the Giant's still coming out. He's a member of the Dungeon Doom. I appreciate that. But he's not been around Kev, uh, Kevin Sullivan on television for any extended period for a while. Maybe the odd interview here and there, but nothing dramatic. But he's still coming out to the Dungeon of Doom music with Sullivan laughing, which it, it's, I, I don't like it. it. It takes the air out of the room, even though we're outside here. It's not a good theme at all. We've got Jimmy Hart, who is incredibly unlikable, which is a brilliant talent to have in professional wrestling. But here, you're kind of wanting the Giant to win because he's a WCW guy. Or so the story goes. 
and he's with Jimmy Hart coming out to the Dungeon of Doom music. Probably doesn't do him any favours there. And, I mean, I'll run through the match quickly here, Danny, and then we can sort of t- you know, put forward our points and so on. There's a huge amount of stalling by Hogan on the outside. Yeah. He even pretends at one point he's walking out, then comes back in. I don't mind that too much because this is the main event. And if he wants to drag it out for a few moments, that's fine. He's the heel. It feels like a big match. So I can appreciate he's taking his time with things. The Giant eventually, when, when they sort of get into it a bit more, the Giant's kind of no-selling Hogan's punches, which again is is fine. He's the giant. He's a monster. That's the way it should be. Hogan is bumping a bite for the giant on shoulder blocks and so on. Up till now, not a problem. Everything's fine. But then we start getting things like a test of strength. Yeah. Now, and again, I come back to what happens next. Where do we go next? We spoke about it earlier on with Fire and Ice. What happens to these guys a month down the road? The giant is always going to be over. The giant is always going to be involved in professional wrestling. Well, we know that now in hindsight, but I'm talking, you're looking at it from, from a 96 standpoint. The guy's seven foot four, seven foot five, whatever he may well be. He is, you know, he is a giant. So there's always going to be a place for him. However, I feel the booking here took away the aura of the giant, took away this, this sort of mythical massive man that has dominated everybody in the build up to this this pay per view. He's been smashing through people in ninety seconds of his chokeslam. All of that's disappeared for me now. Because we have a test of strength and Hogan's a big guy, of course he is, but we have a test of strength and for a little while Hogan overpowers him. That should never happen to me. Yeah. Ho- Hogan's the heel. That should not happen. If Hogan's the babyface, different kettle of fish. He's overcoming. He's the underdog. He's overcoming the big monster. But he's the heel. He shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. We get arm bars by Hogan. So the giant now is on the mat with his arm, you know, tied up by Hogan. And it t- to me, the visual was ridiculous. This guy's massive, and you're you're, you're applying an arm bar and managing to control him with that again. Each moment I'm talking about made the giant literally feel less special in front of my eyes as the minutes were passing. There's a headbutt by the giant, which sends Hulk Hogan to the outside. No issues with that. Hogan then reaches under the bottom rope, grabs the giant's feet, trips him and drags him outside with him to carry on fighting on the outside of the ring. You can do that if you're facing a ddp or a sting or a luger or a guy similar size to you this guy's supposed to be a giant and he's dragging him outside like he's a normal sized guy so again it, it's not it's not coming across to me like hogan is super strong it's coming across to me like the giant is nothing special yeah um i did enjoy the giant hulking up at one point i thought that was quite funny uh, uh but when that happens then the outsiders inevitably arrive they're both choke slammed. Hogan hits the giant with a okay-ish belt shot, but the giant bumps fantastically for it. It looks like he's been yeah. picked off by a sniper from the crowd. <laughs> and and Hogan wins the match. Now, before we get into the aftermath of this, Danny, is there anything you want to add or, or any comments you have about what we've seen? Yeah. Um, I loved, I know you would have got a kick out of this too, Star. The giant entering second. Um, yes. I didn't. I didn't expect it, but I was glad it happened. 
um, that always needs to happen. Um, I totally agree with you about the Giants' uh, Dungeon of Doom theme song. It's just, I mean, he's been kind babyface promos for the last three, four weeks leading mm-hmm. up to this pay per view, and it's like you're coming out, you're looking a bit silly coming out to that theme song um, with Jimmy Hart as well. The presentation. Um, Bobby Heenan at this point of the show is so plastered that he goes, <laughs> <laughs> he goes back to WrestleMania three at his in his mind to, to reminisce a little bit about Hulk Hogan wrestling on the on the Giant. Did you hear but, him talk about there being three hundred thousand bikers? Yes. Do you know like, what? He I couldn't have, get mate. He was slurring like mad. Yeah, he was really really slurring, and it was just like. Um, so three. What was the number again, sir? Three hundred thousand. He said. Okay, so Sturgis nineteen ninety six. I'm not really good with reading numbers, but it looks closer to five. Basically, it's three. Wait, five three nine comma four seven five. Right. So okay, yeah. So that's 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 over half a million, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's that. But I don't think they're all there to watch wrestling. I mean, I don't think that was the wrestling fans of that. I think they were off doing other things. Those had to be concerns. But, the, I mean, Bobby Heenan in this, I don't want to say he ruined this, but he did take a little bit away, especially um, Tony Schiavone and um, Dusty Rhodes keep having to remind him that it's not Saturday. Because he kept at one point saying, or was that in the previous match where he kept saying, oh, Saturday night... Um, no, the main event is happening, and he just kept saying, and he was talking about the main event paper, um, the show. And okay. Yeah, yeah, Tony Schiavone. I think that was in the previous match. He was like, the main event's coming, so they got their wires crossed there a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, this match, yeah, I mean, it was it was a foregone conclusion. We knew who was winning uh, a mile off because why yes. we can't see Hulk Hogan come in making this drastic heel turn to only lose to the giant. It was like, ah, oh. but yeah, you're totally right about the giant. I mean, we've seen him just built up all these weeks to just lose like this. It was a bit disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And again, it now makes me think, where does the giant go next? Because, mm. well, I, I know where the giant goes next, but at this moment, again, looking at it, uh, you know, very much pigeonhole in this day, this event, where does the giant go next? He's lost the world title, so you kind of need him to have this, um, this, this almost. He needs an out, as in the interference, which is what we get. But he's been made to look very ordinary. Yeah, the aura of this giant guy who is so difficult to knock off his feet. I mean, the guy was taken down with a test of strength. The guy was held down with arm bars. The guy was tripped by Hogan just grabbing his ankles. All of a sudden. <laughs> he doesn't seem like this all conquering giant anymore. It seems a bit, you know, it, it's, he just seems ordinary. So yeah. that that's an effect. And you've also got to think as well. I mean, Hogan after the match uh, and earlier on in the card, Ric Flair himself, both guys were referencing their upcoming contest. So where does the giant fit in here? He's made to look very ordinary and they're already talking about Flair Hogan. Yeah. So you kind of think, what are you going to do with this, This, in theory, this incredible attraction you have? What are you going to do with him? But yeah. there we go. That's just me being a little bit uh, nitpicky, potentially. I don't know. But, but there we go. Um, after this, and Hogan is here with the belt, celebrating with his NWO brothers, we have a, 
individual coming out with a birthday cake because it is Hulk Hogan's birthday. When you first saw him, Danny, did you instantly know who it was? No, I did not until they mentioned who he was. Um, yeah. Almost like he's changed his face, isn't it? Like, just, I don't know why he did. <laughs> well, he did it a few years earlier with regards to changing his face with that jet ski, didn't he? But, oh, <laughs> that was terrible of me. I shouldn't have said that. I apologize to, no. to Ed Leslie. That was bad of me. But, Sorry, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Brutus Beefcake is here. Yeah. Uh, the, the the booty man, as they refer to him as on, on this show, Ed Leslie. He doesn't, he's compl- he's in NWO colours. And to me, it's probably the best look he's had on, you know, WCW TV since we started this project. It is, mate. And I love the, I want that NWO show because it has the NWO logos and it also has the Terminator on it as well. Yes. There's a cool one of Hogan as well. Very similar that you can find online. But yeah, they do look really smart. Yeah. The image of Terminator with the red eyes and yeah, that is a good look. And Brutus here is out with a cake. In the NWO colours, he's talking to Hogan about, you know, he's his brother. They've been friends for 20 plus years and so on. And what we then get to is effectively Brutus Beefcake gets beaten up by the NWO. And Hogan is stating that this is to prove a point. Ric Flair has said in his interview earlier on, he has a soft spot for Arn Anderson. Arn Anderson is his best friend. And that's a weakness that Flair has. He says, Beefcake has been my best friend for 20 plus years, but we never mix business with pleasure or friendship and then kick his ass. They then spray NWO on the title belt for the first time, which by the way, I remember being outraged about when I was 15. I was, I was distraught. I was like, how disrespectful. (laughs) You know, I look back now and think (laughs) it's so cool, but at the time, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of where the show goes off the air. Little side note to all of that. This takes a good 10 minutes, I would imagine. Yeah. The giant doesn't move. Oh, I he's, love that. He's yeah. still led down for the whole... I mean, how strong is Hulk Hogan if that belt <laughs> shot has knocked him out for this long? No, you're, you're dead on. But I love the professionalism of the giant there just laying down. Um, there's a great story about... Um, uh, when uh, Diesel won the WWF Championship um, from Bob Backlund in uh, yes. a couple of seconds, he uh, sold it so well that he crawled all the way backstage and then crawled in the locker room all the way to the showers, even though there was no cameras. And I just love that that yeah. that, that extra mile when wrestlers go just really make work hard to make their opponent look good. Um, a level I of thought, commitment, isn't it? Yeah, yes, the commi- yeah, he said it perfectly. Um, there's also a great shot of um, Scott Hall with the World Heavyweight Championship over his shoulder when Hulk Hogan's talking to um, Brutus Beefcake, and I was just like, oh, that looks so good. Scott Hall, 1996, holding the World Championship over his shoulder. Mm. And I was like, wow, why, why didn't we see that? But yeah, fantastic stuff. When Hulk Hogan beat him down, I mean, it... It really worked off great because if you think back to Nitro where um, the Horseman beat up Brutus Beefcake, I was actually shocked that he didn't he didn't come out here limping or anything or selling. But it did also make sense as like now we've we've got him. Um, it, he just I mean is he no longer the booty man or anything? I mean I found it has, has he where was the booty babe? Yeah, that's the biggest disappointment for me. 
Yeah. I'm, a bit, I'm a big fan of Kimberly and 96. But there we yeah. go. <laughs> uh, so then, Danny, uh, that concludes the pay-per-view. Uh, we do have a few messages on Twitter about this show, which we'll get into in a moment. But before we do, we need to give our, 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 our summary, our final thoughts, our plus points and our negatives, our woos and our oh brothers. Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother. Woo! Brother. Danny. First or second, my friend? I'll go second this week, mate. Okie doke. Uh, my O-brother, first of all, I think kind of has to go to the Sturgis crowd. Hmm. And maybe it's a bit harsh because they're not a wrestling crowd, but there are certain things on this card that deserved a better reaction than it got. Yeah. And there's also the whole Harlem Heat thing. That wasn't oh, yeah. That was not a good look. So I think maybe the Sturgis crowd or the crowd that was there for the wrestling, at least. Uh, what's your negative, bud? It's something that we haven't addressed um, on this pay-per-view, despite it getting built up and they never delivered. It's the absence of Macho Man. He was nowhere to be seen. Uh, I think that he was banned from Hogwild. And he was banned on the premise, uh, almost like a stipulation to the fact he will get a title match. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. But I uh, do agree with you. A wrestler wrestler being banned doesn't actually mean jack shit. They turn up anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, couldn't he have been posing? I mean, he would have fit in right there if if he was, uh, he could have been sat on one of the motorcycles and then ripped off like his bandana and just jumped in. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, not even we didn't even get a talking point about Macho Man. Um, no, no, no reference question. to him at all. You're right. Yeah, no, no reference to him at no. all. No questions where he is or anything like that. But maybe they're saving that for um, a next pay per view or the pay per view after. Yes, yes, maybe, maybe we will see. Uh, my woo, my positive. There's a few things that could have took this. The Ric Flair promo, I really enjoyed. The opener, I thought was fantastic. Brilliant cruiserweight action. Malenko Benoit, for the whole part, I thought was good. The finish and the the extending the time limit stuff, maybe not so much. But considering how much I've just shit all over the main event, I'm (laughs) going to surprise you a little bit now, maybe, by saying that my woo this week, my positive, is Hulk Hogan winning the world title. Yeah. Because I feel now we're really off to the races. The NWO have control of the WCW World Championship. Yeah. It's it's a title change I feel had to happen. And the fact that it was done with interference and so on, even though the way they booked the giant up to the finish was shit. The way the match went, sorry, was shit. The finish itself with the interference and then the belt shot and the cheating fits perfectly. Yeah. So Hogan winning the world title is my woo. That's my positive. How about you, Danny? It would have to just simply be the location and it's last the arena. Um, I, when I sat down, I was like, wow, this is actually really cool. You're just taking it in. You see the hills. You see, um, I love when a wrestling show goes from uh, light to dark as well. It feels yes. so special. Um, WrestleMania 31 was very much like that as well. And yeah, uh, but mine would definitely be the location, and especially shout out to that um, entrance stage as well because that looked really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, I, I get yeah. it. It is very unique, isn't it? Very, uh, it was just different, and yeah, 
I just like different, you know? It, it is, mate. And what I was going to ask you, do you think this could happen today? Could could AEW or WWE, well, I would say more AEW would be the type to go to Sturgis. Do you think re- Sturgis could hold a wrestling event now? We will get to that because that is something that one of our glorious listeners has actually asked. Oh, so okay. we'll get to that shortly, Danny. But yeah. before we do, final ratings, I suppose. Hit, miss or middling, my friend? Big hit, mate. Um, I sat here, watched it in one sitting. I think I texted you just how brilliant this show was. I was really, really entertained throughout it. There was obviously some bad stuff, like finishes with Medusa and uh, Borna Kano. But yeah, overall, massive hit, mate. How about you? Uh, am I getting grumpy or pessimistic in my old age because i don't see it as being that i mean it's it's a middle and it's a high-end middle but you seem really enthusiastic yeah i I, I really (laughs) (laughs) Ah, okay fair enough well there we go i'm glad you enjoyed it my friend yeah uh taking to twitter then we said a couple of hours before we sat down to record this pay-per-view on our twitter account at nitro underscore nights we asked our glorious listeners to give us any questions thoughts or memories with regards to this pay-per-view and we had a few people sending in a little bit of all of that and we start with our good buddy Millwall chris at Millwall chris one on twitter and he simply says that the cruiserweights are phenomenal here which is a trend that carries on for a while so that's I, I totally agree, though. Yeah, yeah, they have been really, really good, and I can't wait to see where they go next. Yes, exactly. Uh, Steve-O, at Total Steve-O on Twitter. Uh, love Steve-O, big supporter of the network and the show. He owns more SJP World Media merchandise than I do. So that gives, that's a big say. So, He's you know, always appreciate yeah. you, Steve-O. He says, as a listener... I'm gripped hearing your opinions going through this. I'm personally looking forward to hearing you, hearing the progression of the storyline via you. Apologies. Uh, He says, are you personally looking forward to this pay-per-view? Which I think we both said before pressing play, we were, weren't we, Dan? There's there's a lot going on going into it. I I was really looking forward to it. What about yourself? Yeah, absolutely, mate. Because I'd only heard certain things about this pay-per-view or or like read bad things about um, people complaining about um, the wrestlers, uh, the fans not paying. But no, I was really looking forward to this, especially since we've watched the build-up. So, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally. Rob, at UTT Rob, of the fantastic UTT podcast and UTT Tank shows and so on with our good buddy Dan. He says, uh, this was a great idea for a venue. In practice, I would imagine no one could see what was going on, though. And I suppose, like we said earlier on, Danny, it is it is visually spectacular. And you made a really good point with the the changing of you know daytime into night, and we see some fantastic shots of the sunset coming in over the hills and so on. But again, we come back to if you're not in the first maybe five ten rows, you're going to struggle to see, aren't you? I think. Yeah, and it's something. I mean, I haven't been to a lot of like outdoor festivals, but I can imagine um, this isn't exclusive to wrestling. Like, imagine if you go to um, like a concert or something outside, it would be very much the similar thing. Where you're, if you're, it depends how far back you are, but the further back you are, the harder it is to see. Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and finally, we have Cam at Cam Griff ninety two. He shares a few thoughts with us here. He says, really enjoyed this pay-per-view. It was partway through messaging Sai at the end and the fourth man reveal. 
Matches of the night for me were Benoit Malenko and Ray versus Ultimo Dragon. This cruiserweight division is immense. I think we agree with all of that, Danny, don't we? Yeah. Uh, his his woo was the opener. His oh brother was what he thought was the fourth man, <laughs> which we'll come to in a moment, actually. Um, yeah. And then Cam asks the question: yeah. Do you think Ice Train versus Scott Norton was a pay was pay per view worthy? No. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think it was. I mean, maybe with a bit more of a build. Maybe if, yeah. like we said earlier on the show, if the tag team were together for longer, maybe yeah. I'd care a bit more. I don't know. No. Uh, we also have one uh, breaking uh, question, for, well, a uh, statement from Chris Bellis as well. So, Okay, interesting. I mean, yep, so he writes, I love the continuing Hogan cutting his old mates off stuff post-main event. The show as a whole is fantastic from an in-ring perspective, but it still baffles me why they decided that a motorcycle rally would be a good venue. Very little fans, just a bunch of drunk bikers. Yes, but as we mentioned earlier on, so much there, sort of behind the scenes, I guess, business-wise. And and Bischoff also mentions that he, you know, listening to Bischoff on his podcast, uh, like covering various events at Sturgis and so on, he wanted to make events almost uh, the, the the event itself be the attraction the brand yeah. so like for example now date of recording we're about three weeks away from wrestlemania i don't give a shit what's on the card i'm gonna put wrestlemania it's wrestlemania yeah the attraction to me is wrestlemania the brand yeah the idea of hog wild or road wild as it becomes halloween havoc and so on he wanted those to be the brand so people would book it because the show became bigger than maybe the the actual card itself and of course we went into the whole advertising and business opportunities behind the scenes that they were looking into at the time so that kind of explains why i guess yeah would you say it's very much like the super bowl where the super bowl was the brand um most people going really won't like you'll care who's playing but the the main brand is the super bowl yeah, no, yeah, similar, uh, similar. Like, yeah, that's that's kind of how WrestleMania is now, isn't it? And yeah. I think that's kind of what Bischoff was trying to do back in the day. Yeah, that's that's a good comparison. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cam did also ask, could you see a pay per view done in this setting in the modern era? I thought the setting and the crowd interactions were great. So, yeah. what do you think, Danny? What do, about outdoor events and outdoor events with this kind of weird little niche to them i think it might just work but i mean the audience is so different now i mean uh it's like you especially with the advent of twitter and and things like that i'm not 100 sure it might work if you have do you know what that's a very good question though because i i it's, it's one I'm really struggling with, but I can't see like a WWE um, show in Sturgis anymore. I could in like 20 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, with with AEW, I guess you could see it, but I just... Mm, it's a very tricky one. I'm just going to have to say I'm not sure, but how yeah. about you, mate? I, I think cost is a big thing. Yeah. I think putting on a show like this 
that is a, a, a proper pay-per-view show with the proper levels of production, the proper levels of... Uh, if we're looking at modern day, you look, you're looking at the two companies, aren't you? You're looking at AEW yeah. or you're looking at WWE. I wouldn't imagine, if you're being realistic, because again, you come into cost and following and so on, um, regardless of how great something like a New Japan or a TNA is, or Impact Wrestling, apologies, is in-ring. Yeah. I wouldn't imagine them doing something like this. Um, for different reasons, I mean, using the American companies as the example, Impact Wrestling, I wouldn't feel would have either A, the money, or B, the following to pull something off like this to make it as good as it needs to be to work. Yeah. AEW, potentially, but I suppose you're always going to come back to WWE because WWE is the, the, the brand and it's the leader in this business. Whether people like it or not, and all you AEW marks can tweet me and whatever, send all your hate tweets as much as you like to at Scottish Juggalo. And <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, okay. that's not that's not me. Um, <laughs> as much as I love AEW, WWE is the brand. WWE is yeah. the is the number one company in the world. Would WWE run a show like this? I think it depends on what they want out of it. Yeah, I I think that the money and the effort required to have the production to the standard they would want. Because you look at a WWE show, whether it's TV or pay per view, it's it's very slick. The production is over the top. The graphics are there. The lighting and so on. I don't think WWE would be very happy with not being able to control certain aspects of that. Yeah, uh, running a stadium as they do for WrestleMania quite often, they can control some of those aspects. Mm. At a motorcycle rally, I don't think they'd be able to control those aspects. And I don't think that... I think that the money they would lose by having people turn up on bikes as opposed to selling tickets yeah. would be a stalling point for WWE in the modern day. When they know they could, rather than going to a Sturgis where there's supposedly however many hundreds of thousands of people there, and they've already got all the advertising rights and and all this, all the business they currently require. I think the money they would lose from doing that in comparison to just maybe going down the road and booking the stadium that takes 60,000 people and they can have more control over production and more control over um, certain aspects of the show and, the, and, and all that, that that comes under running a, a pay-per-view event, I think would mean that they probably wouldn't do it and if they wouldn't do it then i would lean probably towards then in answer to cam's question that it wouldn't necessarily work today yeah is where my mindset kind of lies i i mean the closest we've come in recent years i suppose uh would be nxt mm. they have ran shows at download festival in this country so there's a marquee set up and the seats are set up and NXT would effect effectively NXT would run a, um, a spot show or NXT would run a, a house show esque type event on the Saturday and the Sunday at download festival. Now you've got 90,000 plus heavy metal fans there, but it's in its own little marquee sectioned off. So you haven't got to pay. You can just walk in and go watch the wrestling. Yeah. But it's, 
it's a much smaller scale and it's not filmed for television it's i mean they don't do it now this is going back before before covid but it's, it's not filmed for television you can get highlights and so on but it's not filmed for pay-per-view it's more of a added attraction at the festival as opposed to the wrestling company themselves trying to be an attraction yeah so i think that's kind of the closest we've we've got to it in recent years yeah but yeah there we go okay well that concludes our look at hog wild 1996 a bit of a mixed bag for me but danny loved it so enough there for me to go back and watch quite a bit of it again but maybe not all of it Um, and i before we go i will leave us with uh well sorry i was going to speak about the person backstage wasn't i bloody hell look look at that stick in my mind uh sean maltman x-pac oh had got his release from the wwf he was supposed to always be the fourth guy on this day sean waltman was backstage at hogwild and again according to people in the know whether it's kevin sullivan on his podcast or i think bischoff mentioned it as well on his um wcw were already in the middle of being sued by the WWF because of the whole Nash Hall razor diesel thing. So whereas Sean Waltman was telling Eric Bischoff on the day of the show, even in Sturgis, I've got my release. I can go out. And he, he was, he wasn't going to do the Brutus beefcake roll with the cake or anything like that, but he was going to come out and interfere and help the NWO capture the world title. Uh-huh. That was the booking. The WWE had given Waltman his release. That part is true. However, they hadn't given Waltman the paperwork. So all Bischoff had was Waltman saying, I have been released. Waltman was telling the truth. He had been released. But without that paperwork to show, you know, officially in black and white in front of him, Bischoff didn't want to take the risk of Sean Waltman turning up on their pay-per-view, their television, when they were already in the middle of being sued by the WWF. So on on the day... They decided on the whole booty man coming out in NWO gear sort of aspect and storyline because the initial plan was to have X-Pac, Waltman, Six, whatever he may be referred to as, being the surprise. Wow. So that's kind no of idea. That came about, yeah. yeah, I had no idea about that. That is, oh, that would have been so cool to have him out. And yeah, that just makes a lot of sense because if you look at the build up and um, yeah, it was supposed to be because. Uh, to me, I just thought it was Nick Patrick was the fourth man. Well, they said about a, there's definitely four of them, and then there might be a fifth, didn't they, on that note? Yes. So, yeah, you're right. yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Okay. I think Nitro next week is going to be very interesting. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. <laughs> Danny, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meat Podcast with the great Chris Bellis. You can hear me on Back When with the great Ty Peters. And you can hear me here next week with the great Cy Powell. You're very kind. You're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> Anything I'm involved in, of course, you can find on the network that carries this show. And that's at SJP World Media on Facebook and Twitter. And please go and subscribe 
uh, and rate as well, if you would, on all of your podcast players, platforms, and providers. Every show on the network, whether it's looking at wrestling, modern day, or nostalgia-based, uh, or any TV-based t- shows, music. Uh, we've got a show coming up very soon. Well, it's probably airing by the time this actually comes out, looking at the MLS, the, the uh, Major League Soccer, the Football League in America. Uh, so much going on with the network. Every show has its own feed every show has its own stream but also if you want to just check out a little bit of everything you can do that on the sjp world media feed itself that's at sjp world media on all your podcast players platforms and providers and on facebook and twitter this show itself you can find on facebook and twitter at nitro underscore nights that's at nitro underscore nights and before we go i will leave you with this little gem from tony Schiavone, as the outsiders were interfering in the match and you know the giant got clobbered the title was going to the nwo tony Schiavone yells the line where's the dungeon of doom when you need them well <laughs> let me tell you mr Schiavone, we don't ever need them they are never ever ever needed danny it's been a blast my friend i will speak to you next week take care mate to everyone else as always thank you for listening <laughs>